Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. You couldn't hear me because I have nothing to say. Yes, I don't believe that. I don't believe that? <laughs> uh, yeah, well. You um, don't have an eye patch on. No, it's better. It's still, I've still got like um, the Stranger Things monster floating really? around in my eyeball. Oh, yeah. There's like little guys all over the place there. That's very strange. Yeah, it is. But I can now I can actually see I'm going back to see the guy today. I should be able to at least read the big E on the eye chart. <laughs> <laughs> Progress. I was there three days ago. I couldn't see the E. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 It's okay. clear, it's clearing up. I just got to stop. Like I said, walking into doors in the middle of the night. That's not a good, that's not a good look. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Waiting on babies, waiting, waiting, of course. Like? <laughs> You've forgotten. I don't. Yeah. So I'm excited. I'm, you know, I love my clients so much. I'm just always get like, just excited about what, the journey that we're going to walk together is actually going to look like, you know, so that's, that's exciting. And then, um, I am taking a workshop this weekend with Nicole Morales. You've spoken about her and we've actually had her on the podcast. She's a midwife down in San Diego, who was one of my teachers when I was at Najoni. She's one of those special ones. She's mm -hmm. very magical. She's a great storyteller and she does spinning babies classes and also does it as a like a specialty body balancing having to do with breeches and shoulder dystocia. So I'm really excited about that this weekend. I'll be in this workshop all weekend. And um, if babies don't come while I'm there. So, yeah. You know what, Bliss, I, I really admire you and the, and the listeners that we have because there's this insatiable thirst for, for knowledge and improving our skills and our, and ourselves. And you know, I, I think back to my days in the hospital, uh, and I didn't sense that. I sensed that I sensed that continuing education for doctors was a pain, and that's why it's sort of a requirement by the medical board to keep your license in order to convince doctors to do it. I don't think they did it because they were passionate about learning some new skill. They might have picked one because it was convenient or because there was a ski trip associated with it or something of that nature, but not necessarily to learn something new. I'm, I might be wrong on that. I just, and maybe I'm projecting a little bit from the last days of my hospital-based work because I was not very happy there either. But uh, so I admire that, that you, you know, you're a quite a skilled midwife and yet you're, you're still learning from, you know, other midwives. I just think it's, it's great. And I, and I love the passion that you have Thank for your you. clients. I feel that way too. I'm still in touch with a lot of my clients and, and uh, they send me pictures and updates on what's going on with the kids that they're growing up. And it just, there is this attachment that, that feels great. It feels great. I, and uh, you know, I don't miss, like I said, I don't miss being on call. I had a great week here. This is the first week I've spent in Kanab where spring has finally sprung. Nice. We had temperature yesterday. It got over 80 degrees. Uh, wow. And like five days ago, it was in the 30s. So yeah, it's been really nice outside. I've got landscaping guys here helping me get my planter. I've got like 10 planters, maybe 12. I can't even remember 
how many, and they're helping me fix the drip lines and put in new dirt. And I can't wait till I'm going to be in North Carolina next week. And then when I get back, I'm going to the nursery and I'm going to be buying tomato plants and basils and plant some seeds and watch things grow. And I'm so excited about all that. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Before we get to our guest today, I got a couple of things that I got to talk to you about. Our guests are... First, who's our guest today? I forgot. No. (laughs) No, we're having Nathan Riley and his protege, Sarah Rosser, on today to talk about a lot of things, but a new project they've got coming up underway. and And I'm excited to talk to them. I'm always excited to talk to them, but... So we'll get to that, you know, after the first break. But I wanted to tell you, I went to the store to get some groceries and I sometimes buy Epsom salts. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever soak, soak in Epsom salts in a bath, but it's kind of nice to do that. It's supposed to be good for you, the magnesium mm-hmm. and stuff. So I picked up, you know, I just grabbed this off the shelf and I, you, you probably can see it. Our listeners can't, but this one is for menstrual relief. Is that all they had? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just in the same packaging that I always buy it, but this one... It was for menstrual relief. So I'm gonna, I can't wait to open it and see how that works for me. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Oh my God. So I'm getting, by the way, I don't know if it's because you and I are lightning rods for stories and stuff like that, but I seem to be getting more and more successful breach and twin stories coming from out there. And they're almost all coming from home. Some are from the hospital. And there's some great posts on Instagram, breach, breach baby stories and, and twin birth stories. I follow them on Instagram. So I'm seeing a lot of those, but but there just seems to be more awareness that mm-hmm. there's an option. So I salute all people that are searching out birth options and not being, you know, coerced into doing things that they don't want to do. But there just seems to be more stories. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's kind of like when you, you know, when you buy, a, I bought a Mini Cooper once. And I never noticed Mini Coopers. And then I bought a Mini Cooper and then you see them everywhere. So yeah. it could be, could be that theory as well. Well, I have to say... We celebrate you, those of you who are are fighting to get your autonomy and respect and have the delivery you deserve. And I I do think we are a lightning rod for stories. And sometimes they're hard to hear, you know? So this is really nice to hear some good ones, too. It's always nice to have that balanced out. Yeah, and we had a a small, we got to take any victory as a victory, but we had a small victory in California. The California legislature was trying to mandate the HPV vaccine for every kid going into the eighth grade, male, boy or girl. Uh, and that got taken off the bill, which, okay. is a, which is a big deal. However, it's still likely going to be required for all college entry in California. So I would tell our listeners who live in California, please send your kids to a school in a different state <laughs> and don't get that vaccine. No. I want to, I want to just say something about the vaccine because it was it was promoted. It first was released in 2006 and we talked about it before, but just briefly, uh it was promoted with the with a tagline that it says prevents cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, how could they possibly know that? Because cervical cancer is most frequently diagnosed in women between the ages of 35 and 44. So, if you were 12 years old in 2006, all right. That's what, 16 years ago, 17 years ago. So you're 29 years old now. All right. And the average age of diagnosis of cervical cancer in the United States is age 50. So how could they make a statement in 2006 that it prevents cervical cancer when they tested it for like less than a year? Yeah, maybe two, but but a very short period of time. And, and so it just it just, again, lose all trust in medicine. And this is an interest. This brings up a topic 
again, I'm going off topic slightly, but brings up a topic for me about safety and the perception of safety. And despite all the advances we've had in technology and social programs and stuff like that, I would ask our listeners to ask themselves, do you actually feel safer now than you did 20 or 30 years ago? Hmm. Do, you, do you feel safer when you're getting on an airplane now than you did 20 years ago? No, it's neutral for me. Okay. But- How about medical care? No. <laughs> How about banking? No. How about food? Mm-mm. Right. Absolutely not. We've advanced as a society, but we've actually regressed in safety. Oh. Right. Regressed in spiritually, emotionally, relationship-wise, health-wise, I mean, yes, We've advanced in propaganda <laughs> and tyranny, right? And made some people very, very rich. Yeah. Speaking of tyranny, by the way, I know that by the time this podcast comes out, they'll have already had this April 20th hearing. But for the last five or six days, there's been radio silence about the episode that happened in Texas with the Child Protective Services family. You know, I went online this morning to look for articles or anything, an update on that, and zilch. So until this hearing in April 20th, this family's without their child. Yeah, I did reach out to the midwife and and offered both. I offered your support as well. (laughs) (laughs) I I said, if there's anything that we can do, because, you know, the, the last couple of weeks, I've had, you know, people reach out about this and other things and just say like, you know, because of our platform, because we have a following, you know, we have the opportunity to make a bigger impact than maybe some other people might. So I think it's important that we utilize that in the best ways that we can. She said, thank you. And she would let us know, but. Yeah. I don't know that there's much that we can do. And I know that people are reaching out, looking, trying to find lawyers in every state that'll deal with this, like family law lawyers. And it just, we have to do something before it happens. Because once the child protective service takes your kid, you know, you're helpless. So we have to somehow get legislation to rein in child protective services. Yeah. Rein in these people and, and hold accountable people who make false or inflated claims of danger, like this Dr. Bot. I don't know the whole story, but the idea that because they didn't accept his treatment, that he calls Child Protective Services as opposing to maybe discussing the fact that home billy lights and supplemental milk and the baby was doing fine and getting better would have been okay. But no, 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 he's got to complain. And then and then once it once it you get on that roller coaster, you can't get off. Yeah, absolutely. And the and like you said in the text thread we had the other day, which kind of brought tears to my eyes. You know, the damage is already done. That baby and that family have been traumatized. You know, yeah. Yep, can't go backwards. One last yeah. quick, one last quick thing. Uh, I was reading an article about cord milking. I don't know if you saw this. You probably didn't see it because I, I have a lot more time for reading than you do <laughs> these days. <laughs> They said that although NICU admission rates weren't actually reduced in non-vigorous infants who underwent umbilical cord milking versus those that underwent early cord clamping, umbilical cord milking was quick, safe, and had other clinical benefits. And they said that umbilical cord milking for non-vigorous infants, which is just squeezing the cord and and shoving the blood into the baby really quickly, (laughs) took an average of nine seconds. Uh Where infants born at 35 to 42 weeks gestation was not associated with statistically significant reduction in NICU admissions. However, it was associated with a reduced need for delivery room cardiorespiratory support, lower incidence of moderate to severe HIE, and less use of therapeutic hypothermia. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the question is, how is it possible that NICU emissions weren't diminished if they lowered all those other things? And the answer, of course, is obvious. 
Yeah. What's the answer? I can see you <laughs> nodding. Um, well, you might say money, but it's also just like liability, you know, because if they have certain standards of what they have to do admissions for, even if those things are fine, they are going to lean towards putting the baby in the NICU if it had anything that they might be concerned about, rather than acknowledging that what is actually best for most babies, unless they're really needing, you know, serious attention is to keep mom and baby together. You know, that's the continual thing is that they just don't acknowledge and honor that. And you know what? This happened to me 30 years ago, 31 years ago. My son is turning 31 on Friday. Happy birthday, Jordan. And they separated him for, you know, having low, his temperature was low. And I was 19 and I advocated to have him on my skin and they were shocked when his temperature normalized. You know, this is, this is still happening, you know? So we're not acknowledging the benefits of what mom and baby can do just yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad they're looking at these sorts of things, but I but I wish that they wouldn't in the discussion section would analyze the reasons why you just said it very clearly. The hospitals have policies. Babies born that are floppy or babies born with a low APGAR score going to go to the NICU for observation. That's just yeah. what they do. Yeah, okay. because if they didn't, you know, then what? Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a quick break for one of our favorite sponsors and we'll be right back. Hey, Bliss, guess what time it is? It's time to talk about our sponsors. Yeah, we're going to talk about Needed. And, you know, that's a product that I've been using, and I think you probably have too. Yeah, and, I love it. Uh, yeah, so tell me why. Well, you know, we're very selective about who we partner with. And Needed is an amazing company that's women-owned and really has done the work to bring really quality products to the market. One of them is Julie Sawaya, who was a client of mine. She has two home births. And we did do an episode on her. So you guys can go back and check her out because it's really amazing they've done. And I love the products because of that. And also, I, I really love supporting a company that has a supplement that is helpful for women who have nausea. So they have their prenatal vitamins in a powder form and also in another form that's called, they call essentials, which is just the basics. So that if a woman is having nausea, which happens quite frequently, they can still take their prenatal vitamins. So. Yeah. Julie and Ryan, have, they hand selected every ingredient and nutrient dose, and they spend thousands of hours reviewing supplier sourcing records, clinical literature to come up with the best possible combination of substances in their products, which, which include things like their prenatal vitamin, which you just mentioned, which comes in that powdered form, which you love. And they have a pre and probiotic. They have a collagen supplement. They have a stress support, sleep and relaxation support, hydration support. They have choline and CoQ10. And they also have a men's health plan as well. So get your husbands mm -hmm. online, go check them out. You go to thisisneeded.com and use the code word birthing instincts. When you do that, you'll save 20% off your one-time order. So that's thisisneeded.com, code word birthing instincts for 20% off your one-time order. Thanks, Needed. Thank you. We're back. <laughs> I love this. Right, well, let's let's bring in our guests. So let me yeah. get him in, let me get them into, into the waiting room here. Out of the waiting room here. Here they come. Look at their nice emblems. Nathan has such a nice uh, logo. So fancy. Yeah, it's a yin and a yang thing. Uh, maybe he can explain his logo to us when he comes on. If they come on, where, where are they? Oh, there's Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hello. 
Hello. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Nathan's going to stay in a yin-yang symbol for this, if that's all right. No, he's not. There he is. We need his volume on, though. Here. Oh, you there can't you hear me. You can't hear me? Now yes. I can hear you just great. Well, so at, I know oh. ended canceling a couple of times with you guys, both times because I had babies coming. So that's awesome. Awesome that we're here and that the babies are are allowing us to have this amazing conversation. Such sweet <laughs> babies today. Thank you, yeah. baby. So a couple quick things. I'm jealous of Nathan's really, really, really big mic as opposed oh, yeah. to yeah. as opposed to my big mic. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah, not about the size, Stu. It's how you use it. That's true. It's not the size. Uh, Sarah, everybody sort of in our world kind of knows Nathan. You are no less important, but people don't know you as well. So why don't sure. you tell people who you are, and then we'll discuss sort of why you're here. Yeah, you bet. No, I definitely don't don't speak from a platform quite as as big as Nathan's, but I am a community midwife here in rural Tennessee, and I'm part of a group practice called the farm midwives and Nathan is one of my closest friends and I think it's really cool we're like midwife OB duo like you guys that's true yeah. actually you're right that's a it's like a yeah totally we are the she's the we're the um the stew and bliss of maybe like the east coast <laughs> you're the younger version <laughs> it's true you know what I was thinking this morning when I woke up I was thinking two midwives and two OBs walk into a bar <laughs> <laughs> Have the other half of it, but we'll see how the other half goes. Okay, great. Yeah, who, who ended up paying for the drinks? <laughs> you have me. I probably paid for the drinks just because okay. I I am always the one that's like, oh, I'll get the drinks. I'll get the. I'll get. Yeah, the I am too. So so it'll be interesting when we when we see you in Lexington in August. We'll have to figure out who's going to pay for the drinks. But that's I can just be very way. sneaky. I'll like sneak away, like, and you'll think I have like, you know, some sort of GI issue, but I've just been gone for way too long for my pee break and I'll come back and they'll, they'll bring the uh, signed receipt for me and everything. So watch out. I'm sneaking. Well, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, could you just tell our audience a little bit about who you are? Cause I think most people know you, but there might be some people that don't. Well, in a, in a different life, I probably would have been building you know, sandcastles on Venice Beach, but instead I took the medical, the medical school route. And it wasn't until I met you and Stu that I really felt like, oh, there's a way for me to, to practice as an OBGYN in a, in a different way than I had been sort of nurtured by the big conventional medical industrial complex. So yes, I'm an, an MD <laughs> and I started becoming very disillusioned when I was doing residency at Kaiser. Stu came in and did a, a lunchtime talk and he, you know, I reached out to him. He had been speaking with Elliot Berlin and Mila Chavira on, on how to select for, you know, great candidates for vaginal breach, but also how to kind of sit on your hands and to allow this, these, these, you know, vaginal breaches to develop. And I was really compelled by that. So I asked Stu if I could go to births and sure enough, the first home birth I ever went to, you were just finishing, I think your apprenticeship bliss and, and hanging out with you guys that day, I always tell people I went home and like, I was like excited again about being a doctor, about being a, an obstetrician and the rest is, is sort of history. So I finished my residency there and did a fellowship in hospice and palliative care. So I, I have kind of this birth and death dynamic that I, I play around with. And I've now been attending home births myself. I do a lot of functional medicine for all sorts of women's health issues. I do a lot of fertility support using, you know, non-hormonal methods, a lot of natural lifestyle stuff. But Sarah and I met when I was, I think I was in fellowship or maybe I just finished fellowship and I messaged 
the farm midwives randomly because I had been in touch with Ina May and Sarah and I, she responded, she was managing their Instagram account and she and I became very, very close friends. Our families have hung out innumerable times and I'm excited to be here with you guys, but I'm, I'm also just like super stoked that there are more people like this, like us out there because it feels a lot less lonely. Totally. Yeah. And I'm just imagining as you were telling that story and I, I remember that night fondly, by the way, I remember mm-hmm. you know, sharing with you whatever wisdom I had about home birth. And, you know, if more residents did this, you know, how that would change things just, just for the understanding of what birth does look like outside of the hospital environment. You know, I've been thinking a lot as language starts to change, you know, we used to use the term natural birth or vaginal birth. And now what's going around is physiologic birth. And, you know, I see these comments about physiologic birth in the hospital that it can happen. And I don't really think it can. Can I comment on that? Because I actually don't like even like the term physiologic birth because it reduces it down to like, again, this like automobile analogy where it's like, if you understand how the you know, the blood circulates in this and that, we can pick it apart and put it back together and you're going to be just fine. There's nothing physiologic about birth. Like, yes, understanding the physiology is like, that's like your, your apprentice level introduction to how this happens. But as you sit with this more and you learn, as Stu had told, had told me at that birth that we're talking about, like, I'm going to teach you the art of doing nothing. That's a very active process. But the, whole, the, the process of holding space and it allowing this sacred thing to unfold it's very, very hard work, but it has nothing to do with physiology. In fact, once you understand the physiology and you've maybe seen some bad things happen here and there, that's actually really where you start to spread your wings and, and kind of figure out, you know, when do I need to actually intervene? Like when you intervene, what we are talking about is physiology. But if you're not intervening, then what are you doing? There we start to kind of unpack the mental, emotional, even spiritual aspects of childbirth. So I don't like the term either, the physiologic thing like you can do that in hospitals, I guess, if we're looking at you as a car, but if we're going to really do what Sarah in, in bliss, what you guys have sort of been raised to do from the very beginning, nurtured to do from the very beginning, you can't see it as a physiologic process alone. It's actually far, far more than that. Yeah. I think, I think that, you know, it's interesting. Terms are so important because they define how we see the world, but if we had to come up with a term, maybe instinctual birthing might be a better term. Oh, I like that. Yeah, because it's it, instinct is not something you have to think about. And, you know, whenever I give my talks or Nathan, I'm sure you probably you do, too. I always revert back to, you know, how other mammals give birth and we don't intervene with them. And it isn't about. Well, it is an interventions. It is you would never do to your laboring pet what you do to the human female. And right. uh, because everything that we do isn't as Bliss likes to say, everything that we do, even walking into the room is an intervention in some way. So when you yeah. leave birth alone and let it be instinctual and let the woman get out of her own head and get into her primitive brain, then things generally go well. And when they don't, that's where our expertise to, to walk in. But you're right. Physiologic birth does sound, it sounds, you know, too managed, Mechanical technological, and certainly yeah. natural birthing doesn't have a meaning anymore because some people think natural birthing just means the baby coming out of the vagina. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, so not, not using an epidural, I think that term happened a lot, and I think yeah. that's started to distinguish it. But it's a it's an interesting interesting point, Nathan. I like it. <laughs> and Sarah, Sarah at the farm, you know, I, I actually had the privilege of coming there last year. And yeah, I missed you. I know. I didn't know you were. I didn't know you then, but you were. I don't. 
think you were even there that day or, or something. Probably not. Yeah. But I was fascinated by the whole thing. And certainly, uh, you know, our friends, Mary and Margo, you know, want to do something similar to that. But, you know, even at the farm, I think it's gotten a little bit less away from instinctual birthing, unless I'm wrong. Can you can you tell us what it's like for the women that come still come to the farm and 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 the midwives that are still working there? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, most of the births that I attend are home births. Even though I'm I'm fully a partner at the farm, I only maybe 10% of the births that I attend are actually located on the farm. And there's only a few of us practicing a lot of these midwives. The OG midwives are in their 70s now, and, and most of them are not practicing anymore. Like I think Pamela Hunt showed you around Dr. Stu, is that right? Right. So she's almost completely retired now, but she was one of my mentor midwives. She trained me. But yeah, I mean, it is it is very individualized, but certainly I believe that sometimes the first intention is leaving home and folks that come to the farm and give birth have have left their homes most of the time to come there. And obviously there are people there on the farm that give birth, but that live there, that give birth there, and that is their home. But for the most part, they are traveling and, and coming there to give birth. And so my personal preference is that people get to stay where they are. Unfortunately, that can only happen if they want a midwife to attend their birth. That can only happen if they have access to midwifery that is going to take care of them in the way they want to. And so we see a lot of folks who come who maybe have a have a breech baby and they don't have options where they are and coming to the farm is what they feel like their best option is. Yeah, but I hear what you're saying. I think, and I, and to your point, Bliss, about instinctual, if, if instinctual birth is the word that we use instead of physiologic birth, like how is that happening in a hospital setting? Mm-hmm. How's it happening if you leave anywhere and go do this thing? Being at home, nesting is a part of our primal instinct and in preparation for birth. We're, we're abandoning it by leaving home. Yeah, and there's just no acknowledgement of the hormonal cascade that really influences safe and straightforward birth process. You know, that part for me that, you know, there's all these wonderful educators now that are on social media and they're doing an amazing job and talking about advocating for yourself, which I think if you're in the hospital environment, that's really necessary. But I see this whole thing about like fighting for the birth that you want in the hospital. I'm like, right there, you lost. You just lost it. Yeah. 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 Before you guys came on, Bliss and I were talking a little bit. I brought up the thing about the perception of safety and how you know, if you think about all the advances in technology and social programming and stuff that we have now, and yet, do you feel safer now in certain aspects of your life than you did 20 or 30 years ago? And we talked about getting on an airplane, and this was sort of neutral about that, but medical care, no. Banking, no. Food, no. And, you know, medical care is, that's medical care, but birth shouldn't be listed as part of medical care. Do you feel safer in birthing now than you might have 30 years ago? And the, you know, and we're all shaking our heads because the answer is we've gotten more technology and less safe. Yeah. You said the perception of safety. I also think that there's this advertised illusion of safety. And we talk actually quite a bit about this, Sarah and I, and we've included it in our new course where this is actually the crux of the issue is that we've been provided, you guys, you guys reviewed Jim West's book, I believe 50, the 50 human studies out of China on in utero exposure to ultrasound, for example. And there was a great, there was a great Jim West, the author provided a great quote in the very beginning of the book, which was, you know, in paraphrasing, basically, you know, nobody feels safe about this pregnancy thing. We've all been conditioned to feel like there's something inevitably bad going to happen. 
And lo and behold, there's this technology that can just kind of save you from that whole sort of metaphysical experience, this, this perceived unsafety around it. And that, that technology, like many technologies in childbirth is, is ultrasound. Well, let's look at the evidence. And then he, you know, the rest of the book kind of unfolds, but you could apply that to virtually every, everything we talk about in birth where we've, we've stepped in with our white coats and we've said, Hey, you don't have to go deep into this experience. You don't have to actually settle yourself internally or with your environment. We can take that, that pain or that, that sort of internal tension away with the, you know, with the, the promises of progress through the lens of technology. And so it gives this illusion of safety that when you're in a hospital, everything's going to be fine. But as you guys have both alluded to, Michelle O'Donnell writes very elegantly about this. Once I start asking you those scary things and activate your cerebral cortex and your catecholamines start flooding, now we have this imbalance that actually suppresses the activities of oxytocin, this beautiful love hormone, which is eventually going to eject your baby from your womb through, you know, through the pelvis in this very, very sacred, beautiful process. But if I start disrupting that balance of catecholamines with this, the neurotransmitter slash hormone oxytocin, we don't get that. And, and that's where the cascade of interventions actually ends up leading, whether you want to look at it as neurochemistry or something else within the nervous system, through the lens of trauma, whatever else, you end up on this path of cascade of intervention after intervention, which leads to all of the bad things that you're afraid of in the first place. So we have a really, really problematic tension, counter tension between us, the consumers of healthcare and the illusion of safety that actually doesn't really play out when you look at the data. There's not a lot of safety. I don't ever go to the hospital. In fact, I look like Harry Potter right now. I was a little stoned the other day when we were going to bed. And I walked into the end of a door. We're in an Airbnb, so it's a little bit unfamiliar. <laughs> and I split my head open. It was like, Stu, I was like, I need somebody to come and stitch my head together. I could have had any of you guys come and do it. And my wife was like, that looks terrible. You're going to be really mad in the morning if we don't go to the hospital. And I was like, I'm fine. Just get me a Band-Aid. And she got me a frozen Band-Aid and we closed it. And it, it's fine now. <laughs> but the point of that story was that I was like, hell no, I'm not going to the hospital and sitting for eight hours in an emergency room with two little babies. Like, we're not doing that because I don't want to go. I will not go to the hospital unless I was just hit by a car or something because I don't believe in that. I've worked in the system. I don't believe that I'm going to be safer there necessarily. Yeah, I won't even get into the bumping of the head story of, of that. Yeah, let's just let's just uh, let's just let that one pass by on the show. listeners and know what I'm talking about. But I do have a, an anecdote that somebody wrote to me and I was thinking about whether I was going to talk about it on today's podcast or not. But I can just paraphrase it really quickly. She moved to a new town at 35 or 36 weeks and she found one OB that was willing to take her on that late in her pregnancy. And so she went and he seemed like a nice guy. But when they did the GBS, you know, in our model, the GBS, we give you the swab. If we're going to do it, we give you the swab. You go into the bathroom, you do it yourself. In the medical model, a lot of times they'll, they'll put the woman up in stirrups and the doctor will then do the swab. And then he went and did a vaginal exam on her without telling her. And she was really traumatized by it. Yeah. And so when she went into labor, she was progressing beautifully. And when she went to the hospital, she was still progressing. And it turned out that the doctor that she, that was her doctor happened to be the doctor on call that night. And she writes in there that I was really disappointed. And the minute that that doctor walked in the room, her labor became dysfunctional and stopped. Yeah. And it was, and, and it's not surprising. It's actually what you'd expect in the mammalian model of birth when a predator, <laughs> excuse the term, but when a predator approaches, what does a mammal do? She puts out adrenaline and other hormones and she stops her contractions and she wants to run. 
And so that's what happened. So your example of, of, you know, oh, if your hormones screw up, honey, we can fix them. You know, we've got, we've got stuff that we can give you instead that that mentality permeates our profession. And yet, again, that's why it would be really nice to have more residents come and spend time like you did. Theoretically, you just said it changed your life. It did. And it, it changed did. the path of so many people. Just think of the ripple effect of that, of that, of you being uh, inquisitive enough to just come and want to you know, come up to me and talk to me and Elliot afterwards. You were just curious enough to to do it. We've talked about breaking silos before and getting residents to come and spend time at home and getting home birth midwives to come spend time in labor and delivery and getting residents to spend, you know, a week being a labor and delivery nurse so that we do all those things. This this would be monumental for changing certain things. But again, this is a system that is completely broken but it works really well for the people running the system and they're not going to let go of it. And so we're looking outside at other possibilities. And that's kind of why we brought you guys on today, because you have this born free university idea coming out. When I think of that, I think of like Prager University, where I think you have five minute videos where, you know, people can learn something. And it sounds like when I read your description that they won't be five minute videos, but you're going to have an online educational system. So, you know, rather than me perseverate on it. Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about your your vision? Yeah, well, isn't that much unlike what you just explained? Like we did try to create this in a way that was bite-sized and easy to consume for people because there's just this vast amount of information that people need to be able to consume in order to make informed decisions. And unfortunately, we can't rely necessarily on their providers to give them full informed risk benefit alternatives. And so that's what we created with the Born Free Method. And we poured a a whole lot of our energy and time into it. And it is an eight-week course. And it it is easy to consume in those smaller bite videos. But there's activities. There's a huge vault of resources. And then Nathan and I want to stick with those folks for a full year throughout their pregnancy, birth, postpartum year to be able to support them because we feel like that's a lot of what's missing in in this picture is this ongoing continuity of support. Yeah, yeah. I guess guess I'll add on. (laughs) Actually, I want to add on only because a a lot of people are like, you know, there's plenty of information out there. You can go and find the information yourself. You don't need a course. And and that's true. You totally can. Um, Through years and years of reading and digesting and going into not just the abstracts of studies, but how was the study done? Who financed the study? What are the conflicts of interest here? Especially with what we've seen happen for the past three years with COVID and everything else. It's really incumbent on all of us as healthcare professionals to be really, really investing our time into reading it. However, having said that, it's not enough for all the reasons we've already discussed in this conversation to just have the information. Getting a you know, crafting a birth plan and getting it uh, notarized and all this stuff, you're already on the path. You're just playing this game where you're going to try to out, out data or outsmart your healthcare professional and try to show them how, how well you research you are. That's a part of it, but it's not enough. What we actually need to do is practice the simple act of just saying no thanks. And so we actually have a lot of, of, of exercises, as Sarah mentioned, meditations and, and really just practicing exercising your autonomy well before you're having painful surges and a doctor's asking you if you have a history of, of, of pulmonary embolism or, or bowel obstruction before they give you certain medications. Do you have any of this stuff and you're painfully surging there and you're just trying to advocate for yourself? That's not the first time that you should be practicing 
this autonomy, this, this sort of radical responsibility and decision-making. So it goes beyond just the information. Again, I feel like that's the first tier. Now you've got the information. How do we put that into practice in our life? And, and there is so much power, I think, that can be derived from just realizing that you have everything that you need right here. You are a functioning adult. You have capacity for decision-making. The issue is that you've, con you've been conditioned to outsource your power to everything from the policymakers and legislators to your pasts and pastors and priests to hell, mom and dad. You've been outsourcing your power to teachers, to adults, to the superiors in every walk of your life. And now you're about to become a parent and the buck stops with you. How do you prepare for that? And furthermore, you are transforming through this. You're going from maiden to mother if you're a woman. You're going from a boy to a man if you're going to be a father. These are important transitions in life, and it is not a medical procedure you're about to go through. So when we talk about the evidence or whatever, there's three legs to evidence-based medicine. One is the data, yeah, and we're going to help you with that in Born Free. The second is clinician experience. Like you and like you guys, you guys probably together have actually attended way more births than Sarah and I, but you know, we're probably on par there. You know, <laughs> we bring all of our experience into that. That's the second leg of evidence-based medicine. And the third is what are you as the pregnant person, your, your partner, your family, what are your preferences, your values, your story? What experiences have you brought into this birth? Those are the three legs of evidence-based medicine. So it is not enough to just know what does the data say about vitamin K or whatever, it's actually also important that we consider what is your story, that you get to know yourself because you're about to transform through this beautiful process and you are connecting with your partner, that you guys see to eye to eye, that you guys are going into this, not head to head, but shoulder to shoulder. That's what the whole Born Free Method process is about. We try to give as much of ourselves as we can over 12 months after you join the program. Well, and I think that that in itself is a huge difference from a lot of the other programs that are out there, right? Because, you know, normally you have, you know, maybe a few weeks or a weekend with somebody who can walk you through this process, but to have somebody or a tribe of people, which I find that when you're trying to step outside of the system, it, it's really hard to find reliable information. And, and if you're not basing your decisions on information, and you're basing them on your own instincts and intuition, it can be helpful to have other people who are like, yeah, that's valid. That's okay yeah. for you to do it. You don't have to like get a degree in order to have the baby. You can actually listen to what your heart is telling and what your soul is telling you. So I think it's really nice for people to find like-minded individuals too, that can hold that container for them to for them to evolve and find out what their truth is. So it's really beautiful. Yeah, and I think, and I would like to add that um, just listening to you guys describe what you're, what you're hoping to achieve is not just for birth, but it's actually for life itself. Because, you know, as you said, we passively allow things to happen to us and we don't deal with them until it becomes at a crisis level so often. Yeah. And if you are, are, prepping in advance, if you have ways of approaching situations and you learn a different way of doing things, then a lot of those crises will never, will never occur. And I, I love the way that you said, Nathan, that, you know, right now, when you come to a practitioner with your birth plan or with your ideas, or you say, you know, I really don't want the GBS culture. No, I really don't want to drink that sweet stuff. They look at they look at it as being like confrontational, as you know, your former employer would label you as a non-compliant patient for declining for declining a test that they recommended. 
or declining induction or something like that. And so you said something about learning how to say, to be more actively listening. So I hear that you want me to do this test, but I think I'm going to decline. And if you need to know why, I'll give you an explanation. But otherwise, let's just move on to the next topic and do it in a way that that doesn't challenge you know their ego or authority too. I think if you guys can teach that, that's far more, that, that extends way beyond just pregnancy because that's how we how we should live our lives. Well, I mean, yeah. And, and look at what we've all been through. I mean, these past three years has been very revealing. I think, you know, if they're going to mandate that I do this thing and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling a hell yes from my core. What do I do with that? You know, we're losing friends. We're losing family. We're losing our practitioners that have cared for us throughout all of pregnancy. And then bam, 36 weeks come and you decline the GBS swab and suddenly now you're left without a practitioner. I mean, like this is happening every single day. You, we all know this. So how can, how can you navigate these troubled waters and stay true to yourself without, you know, for lack of better terms, pissing off the person that you actually have developed a great relationship with? That's another big part of education that's lacking. You can't read the literature for that. This is a life, a sort of ongoing life process, sort of like understanding who you are, how you show up in the world, and, and what Sarah and I always say is the way that you give birth is a reflection of how you show up in the world. We are not here to tell you that you should have a hospital birth or shouldn't have a hospital birth or should be at home with me and Sarah or Bliss and Stu. We're here to say, listen, this is ultimately your decision. You have to own your decisions and the outcomes of those decisions. This is adulthood. Because if something happens with that baby two years of life and you know you can't easily point a finger at somebody for telling you, you told me it was okay to do X, Y, or Z. Like it is your decision. You have to live with those decisions. And while that may rattle some people's cages, there's also great power in assuming that responsibility, which Sarah and I refer to as radical responsibility. And, and so this is the opportunity through your pregnancy to really start practicing that, to growing into your, your sort of like whole beingness, the whole Nathan Rileyness. And, and that's a big part of what we do in, in sort of counseling through this course and in, in trying to get people to not only connect to themselves and their baby and their partner, but also to connect to like, what feels good? What is that intuitive sense? Like, what is that? Is that a hell yes or is that a fuck no? And, and that's really a, a compass that can be, I think, as authoritative to steal from Robbie Davis Floyd can be as authoritative as whatever the New England Journal is telling you about, you know, X, Y, or Z intervention. You know what? I just, I love that you said that because I do that in my life. Is it a hell yes or a fuck no? <laughs> um, but I, I'm feeling inspired to like lay out the GBS information and say to my clients, is that a hell yes or a fuck no? <laughs> right, right, right. When you were talking, Nathan, I was, my mind went to Bliss's, uh, you know, wedding analogy, which she talks about, you know, you put a lot of investment into your wedding and you plan all that. But for your birth, you, you surrender to your insurance card or a, a book of providers. And that's what you do. And and if you have this mentality that you're describing, then you don't have to worry about what's going to happen at 36 weeks because you've chosen a provider from the very beginning that's like-minded. And and if if you have to make an effort to do it, if you have to find someone that's two hours away or you have to do it virtually for most of the pregnancy, that's what you do. You you cannot surrender. Yeah. It's such an important life event that yeah. we all are blessed to have been be involved with in some form. And to be talking to people who, you know, have the privilege of talking to people listening to us right now, driving their car or going walking their dog or whatever they're doing. I love when people post those things on Instagram. It says, I'm out for a dog with my dog and I'm listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. So, you know, it's it's great. So you need to, you know, you need to plan these things out. And it's not 
like you can plan it out on a piece of paper. It's, it's, it's rewiring how you think about your life and about what's important. Yeah. Amen. Liz, it's time to do a Branch Basics spot. Yeah, I'm so glad they joined our team. And if you have spots all over your house, you can use Branch Basics to clean them up. <laughs> uh, Branch Basics was a, is a company that's new uh, supporter of the podcast. And they make a cleaning product that is really non-toxic and hypoallergenic and biodegradable. And we both, Bliss and I, use it in our house. Bliss probably more than I do because she probably cleans more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's possible. That's possible. I have been um, on the non-toxic tip, like changing my house over for decades. And I've tried a lot of products. And I have to say that I really love this product because it's a concentrate that you get, but it works for all different things in your home. And I have been using it pretty religiously and I feel like it works really well. So that is nice to know that you are taking care of your family and also really cleaning your home. Yeah, it was started by three women. Their story is rather interesting. It says they never set out to sell soap. The founders of Branch Basics are on a mission to help people create healthy homes and experience the power of pure. The three women that founded it, Marilee, said that when she was 23, she avoided a kidney plant by using food as medicine and going healthy. And her niece, Allison, had PCOS and suffered chronic, mysterious pain throughout college. She was desperate for relief and turned to her aunt, Marilee. After two months uh, eating Marilee's only real food using safe products and staying in a healthy home, her life was transformed. And then Alice's best friend, Kelly, joined the, her for the summer at Marilee's. Kelly was generally healthy anyway, but by the end of the summer, even normal complaints like painful menstrual cramps or dry eyes or mild headaches completely disappeared. So I can't, you know, you and I, being honest, can't say that it was all because they used branch basics cleaning products, but it has to do with a starting a healthy lifestyle. Healthy lifestyle. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this product is uh, human safe, it's plant-based, it's sustainable, it's non-toxic, and we recommend that you get it. One, one bottle of concentrate will do pretty much everything you in your house, and you can also buy one. In the starter kit, you get a, a bottle of oxygen boost as well to, to add to your laundry. So you go to links.branchbasics.com backslash code word birthing instincts to get 15% off a starter kit. Thanks, Branch Basics. Thank you. Sarah, I feel like I've been uh, I've been sort of dominating in our course description here. I, I would love for you to maybe highlight a couple of things that sets this apart because Sarah and I actually just recorded an interview. I forgot to hit the record button, so we got to do it twice. And <laughs> <laughs> that's happened to us too. Well, and then you go back and try to re-record and you're like, wait, did I say that already? Or did I not say <laughs> right. that? that in the first podcast or the second one? No, I mean, all of this is, this is, this is the meat of it. It is, it is pregnancy is an initiation into parenthood and claiming your authority and making these decisions is going to follow you for the rest of your life. And then potentially your child's life. It's an ancestral knowledge that we can pass down to our children, because if you're, you know, learning how to say no about a GBS swab is beginning to maybe one day you're my age and you've got teenagers that want to go to public school and you don't have a vaccine card for them and you have to ha have to learn how to advocate for that decision that you've made later in life against a whole different system but kind of still the same man you know same the same system is still lording over us to some extent in our choices and so once we've claimed that authority we have to accept full responsibility which means there's no one to blame for the choices that we made except for ourselves but there's also no one else to celebrate 
except for ourselves because we're the ones that did it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Great. This is going to be launched soon, uh, according to the email that you sent me. So tell us a little bit more about what our mastermind calls. And you said it's eight weeks. Is it really, is it a course or can people just come on whenever they want to, they sign up for it and they say, I've got free time today. I'm going to watch a couple of these videos. Tell us a little bit more about the the mechanics of the project. Yeah, it is a self-guided course. So they are able to kind of, yeah, consume it when they when they are ready, when they have the capacity to do it. So during a lunch break or whenever, you know, having coffee together in the morning with their partner, they can they can tap in and and go through it. But it's designed to go through in about eight weeks. And then our mastermind calls are weekly, which will start soon after the course does. And hopefully it is taking off of the plate folks, the need to organize community gatherings, especially goodness postpartum, when you're healing and you're tapped out on emotional output and you can just kind of log on and listen if you want, or you can engage and ask questions. It'll either be me or Nathan or both of us on those calls. And then we may eventually have guests on as well to add some different types of input. But the idea is that we're getting together regularly. We're staying plugged in with folks so that they have a lot of support moving forward. But yeah, it's a year long, it's a year long program. So you're, we're in, we're in it with you for the long call. And should people sign up when they're pregnant? Do they sign up before they conceive? Cause I know that Nathan, you have an interest in fertility as well. And yeah. you, you know, you put out a thing about why is IVF so expensive and, and I, I enjoyed reading that. And you talked a little bit about, you know, you do some fertility work. Obviously, you don't do IVF that, that you hope to resolve it before it gets there. But yeah. this be something that people can sign up for. Is it all about pregnancy or is it more uh, related to just life in general? So it's it's not life in general. But as you guys have said, I think that if you can really claim your autonomy in childbirth, I think that's going to serve you for the rest of your life. I mean, I, I really think this is a great opportunity. If you haven't reclaimed your power, now's the time to do it. I mean, it's a little cliche, but now's the time to do it. You're going to be parents. You're going to, you know, the bucks, you know, stops with you. So when you purchase the course, you're going to get lifetime access, meaning you may be con contemplating becoming, you know, a parent in the future. You may even be considering doula training or you're already a doula and you want to extend your training, you know, shore up your, your knowledge around certain things, gather some other tools in your toolkit. Maybe you're a midwife, maybe you're a doctor. This course is really for anybody who cares about birth. It is customed, customized for people who are going to be going through the childbirth experience themselves. However, if you're a doula, let's say, and you join the course, you're going to be getting 12 months of calls with the types of people that you're hoping to serve someday. And this is a Q&A for an hour every week for 52 straight weeks after you purchase the program. So this is really the community that we've all, I think, hoped for is there's a weekly call with an OB and a midwife, and there's going to be guests like Stu and Bliss coming in occasionally answering any questions. This is direct access to the people that you're listening to in your, your ear holes for 12 months after the course. And that's because like Sarah said, we don't want people to feel unsupported. There needs to be community. We are so siloed off as if everything ends with you right now. Used to be that a village, it took a village to raise a child. And yes, ultimately your, your decisions and the outcomes of those decisions, you know, will fall back on you as the parent, but you don't need to make these decisions alone. It really, really feels so much better to be held in a container of like-minded people who are standing shoulder to shoulder with you versus head to head, where you're trying to argue 
for your, you know, fight for your right to party. This is a group of people that may have insights that can share with you, et cetera. So for the people who are, in, you know, you know, working through fertility, I do have a fertility program, but the next step then is let's get you continuing to work through your autonomy, getting you continued education for yourself, for your partner, for your family, whether you're a pregnant couple, you're a birth worker, et cetera. I don't think that there's anybody out there who wouldn't benefit from the course because this is really, in my point of view, if we want to change the world, we have to first figure out how to get birth right, which seems so commonsensical, but I don't think people really appreciate just how true, you know, how much truth there is to that. So if you care about birth, the course is for you. And how do people find more information on that? Bornfreemethod.com is is the website. And we've been we've been talking to folks on the wait list that have joined so far. Uh, the course launches May 1st. And so right now folks are getting on this wait list. And I've been excited to hear that there's a lot of preconception folks on the list because there's so many choices that you have to make at the very beginning of your birth that impact the rest of it at the beginning of your pregnancy that impact the rest of it. If you choose a provider who doesn't support breech birth or vaginal breech birth, then then your options get kind of siloed. They get kind of limited and you have to go out and look for somebody here at the last minute. And maybe we're already full. The four of us attend breech birth, I think. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm often hearing from folks who are like 36, 37 weeks pregnant. And they're like, oh man, the person that I have taking care of me doesn't attend vaginal breech birth. Can you help me out? And I'm fully committed to these folks that I've been with since the beginning of their pregnancy. Do you guys experience that sometimes? Liz? Yeah, well, I'm not a breach provider because California, it's illegal, unfortunately. So, but I have witnessed Dr. Fishbein having to go through that, but he usually would take everybody. Yeah. <laughs> We'd have yeah. some months. I know. <laughs> we had some crazy, we had some crazy months, but yeah, I could never say no. Yeah. To people. That's why I had to move away. Well, I, I want to comment on that too. You know, the four beautiful faces that I'm seeing here, apart from my like mangled Frankenstein head. I like it. We're four of the only, I think, I don't like the word provider. I feel like that's something the C-suite came up, but I don't have a better word for it. So we'll just call them birth attendants. And that's just a personal thing. You guys don't have to follow me. <laughs> We're the way that the four of us show up is is really kind of like, hey, I have this skill set. I have deepened my skill set as much as I can. And I haven't, I have yet to turn somebody down unless they're they're trying to outsource the responsibility to me. That mm-hmm. is actually the only time. And that's part of the reason that Sarah and I got together to make the course is like we can't take every single person. Take right. the course, really sort of emphasize for yourself the importance of having and understanding not only of the data and all of that, but also of yourself and what you want here. And once you get through that process, then it's going to be very, very easy, I think, to match yourself up with somebody who's willing to just say, you know what, you've got nobody, no other support here. I'm your guy then, or I'm your gal. And so I think, I think that there's a big, there's a, it's important to emphasize that, that it is very, very hard now to find any practitioners that are willing to quote, bend the rules because I don't, you know, personally like anybody telling me what I can and can't do who's sitting in yeah. some office in Frankfurt, Kentucky or whatever. That doesn't make any fucking sense. That, mm-hmm. On the other hand, there is an important reason to have licensure. So this, this is another thing I think that a lot of our clients are really struggling with is at the last minute, who am I going to go to? My doctor is going to fire me if I decline this thing. So you know, we could go for another hour about that topic. Yeah, I mean, I really disagree with Nathan at all, but you just said something that 
triggered me. It said, there's, there's a, there's an important reason to be, to have licensure. And it's like, is there? <laughs> yeah. Is there really? I mean, I'm a, you know, if we're a free market guy, you realize that, yeah, but, but does licensure guarantee quality? No, absolutely not. No, I personally think all licensure should go away because I know what I'm physically okay, good. Then, then we do agree. And emotionally capable of. No, we agree. The point is that somebody will say, but I, I went to that midwife who wasn't licensed and this bad thing happened. And it's because that midwife maybe didn't do any apprenticeship or had no, you know, actual hands-on experience and just hung up her shingle because she didn't agree with the licensure thing. I hear that side. Every one of our colleagues yeah. that has a 40 or 50% C-section rate and an intervention rate and an induction rate that, you know, 80%, they're all licensed. <laughs> okay. Oh, we have a big problem on our hand. I mean, barbers are licensed now. I was getting my hair cut the other day and he was like, I'm kind of pissed about the barber with the barber board. And I was like, tell me about the barber board. Yeah. It's like, well, we don't have an apprentice model any longer in the state of Kentucky, meaning Joe Schmo can't say, hey, I want to learn to cut hair and I like your style. Can you teach me? That is not, that is illegal in the state of Kentucky. I think licensure has done far more harm than good. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bath water, but if it ever came to a point where I can either like kill myself or keep my, my, uh, to, or give away my license, I'm giving away my license. Yeah. Like, well, give, I, give, yeah. Give any good idea to a bureaucrat and they'll, ruin <laughs> and they'll ruin it. They'll wreck it. So destroy it. Yeah. yeah. Stu, have you noticed the element is everywhere these days? I have you noticed that? I feel like maybe we had something to do with it. Yeah, I have. I know maybe it's, <laughs> Maybe it's growing. And you know what? It really, I'm seeing it in professional sports. I'm seeing celebrities and, and famous athletes all supporting it. And, and I'm not surprised. Yeah. Because you, you and I, no, we don't, we don't support products we don't believe in. And I, I drink Element every day. Yeah, right? Element awesome. It's a tasty electrolyte drink with all of the good stuff and none of the BS, as I like to say, like us. And it doesn't have any sugar. So many, so many drinks that you want to, you know, imbibe in have things in it that maybe aren't so good for you. And what's so great about this is it has that balance of electrolytes that you need for your body. And it's great for birth workers, as you were saying, athletes. We can recommend it to our pregnant mamas, laboring, postpartum. And it's just an amazing, and it's a little packet that you can just toss in your water bottle. So it's also really environmentally conscious as well. Yeah. And you can pack them when you go on trips and you can, you can use them when you're on the go. And it's not a substitute for obviously eating healthy, but no. literally when you're on the go, rather than drinking something that's unhealthy, it's certainly like, like I'm historically <laughs> have done for most of my adult life. I love using my element. And of course, I'm a big fan of the raspberry salt. And you, your favorite was the mango chili, but that comes in grapefruit, watermelon, citrus, orange, lemon, chocolate, and unflavored as well. So we love them. And we hope that you will support them by going to drink element. That's drinklmnt.com backslash birthing instincts. That's it's not a code word. It's just a backslash. So that's drinkelement.com backslash birthing instincts you'll get a free sample pack with every order. So we want to thank Element for being our sponsor for a really long time now, and we love them. You do. Thank you. We're talking about inability to find a good provider to be able to facilitate the delivery that you're hoping for. Where do you guys stand and how where, how do you touch the topic of free birth? Oh, I, I feel very supportive of folks who free birth. I you know, by definition, I'm not going to attend it or it's no longer an unattended birth or unassisted birth. 
but yeah, I think Nathan and I both, Nathan's, if Nathan could have a baby, he'd have a free birth, right? Oh yeah, I would. Yeah. I'm <laughs> a dolphin. Elena Tanetti would have her dolphins come over and take care of me. <laughs> That's on brand, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, it totally is. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I personally choose to have a midwife at my births, but I understand why people don't choose that. And so thankfully I've been able to support some folks prenatally or postpartum, if that's the kind of support that they need. And I kind of liken that to, you know, one of my clients may be choosing home birth, needing an OB consult for some reason. And that OB, should they be able to say, no, I'm not seeing you because I don't like the way that you're giving birth. I don't think so. I don't think that's how care is supposed to work. And so similarly, even though it may not be the way I would choose to give birth, I think that midwives maybe maybe belly up to the idea of supporting folks in other ways if they need it from us who are choosing free birth. I just want to add to that real quickly because a lot of doctors like Stu and I for years, for all of my training, I was hearing bad things about home birth, like stupid people, uneducated, misinformed miseducation, whatever. There was all those types of words. And I started believing it myself mm -hmm. until I started attending them. And I was like, there's got to be something to this. That sounds really awesome. And I don't like my colleagues. Not, not, it's not that I don't like my colleagues. I don't like how I was being treated by my attendings and whatnot, carrying around a big briefcase of, of, of literature to support not intervening in childbirth. Like how fucking psychopathic is that? So I was like, well, let's give this homework thing a try. And when I started doing it and really investing in that, I, I learned, oh, the people who are criticizing midwives and home birth, you know, people who want to have home births are asking the wrong question. They're asking, how could you not want this safety of the hospital when they should be asking, why are so many people afraid to have babies in the hospital? And then you actually really start to unpeel the onion. Well, the same goes for home birth versus free birth. Why are more people insistent or feeling maybe apprehensive about having a birth attendant. And it's because the licensure restrictions and it's because of, you know, people just, you know, birth attendants just playing by the rules and doing what they're told and following all the instructions of their governing boards and all this other stuff ends up stripping a person away from their autonomy. And this is the most autonomous thing that you're ever going to do in your life is having a baby. So the question then is, why are people choosing to have a free birth? And it's because the system at large has not really given them a really great reason to have a lot of support unless we were to just cherry pick those few providers or whatever you want to call them out there who truly support and understand what autonomy looks like. And those are, you know, people like us are very far and few between. Yeah, that's very well said. You know, there are some people that will free birth no matter what, but most people choose a wild birth or free birth, um, right. simply because of the lack of choices. And, and either in a personal experience or a knowledge of people who've been mistreated in a hospital setting or don't want anything to do with the hospital. And the hospital never looks inward at itself and says, you're, like you just said, why are people not wanting to come here? They just, well, they'll just label them, which is the easiest, laziest thing to do. Like an othering as, process. As crazy or, you know, hippies or whatever. And, and won't, have any self-reflection on to why it is that people are choosing to do something that they think is crazy, but, you know, they just can't see it from another perspective. You know, it's just the way until they start realizing that the system that they want to thrust upon everybody sucks, then nothing's going to, it's not going to change because, you know, to think that one, that my system as a, as a C-section rate that one out of every three women can't deliver their baby as nature intended. And that's when we're doing great. And if I lived in 
South Africa or if I lived in Brazil and I had a 70% C-section, we're doing great. This is the this is the model of care. And anybody who does something differently should be reprimanded or should have their license revoked or something of that nature. These, uh, I don't know what word I would use to describe them. I, I feel in some ways I feel sad for them that they live in that box. Yeah. And can never get out of their box. I was kind of curious about I've seen you guys posting about is talking about the use of cannabis and psychedelics. So I know that that's part of what you're going to address in your program. So I wondered if you wanted to just speak to that a little bit. Uh, do you want me to take that one, Sarah? I okay. <laughs> so we have an entire unit on drugs and a variety of, of, of our clients are, you know, very, very well-versed, let's say, in a variety of different drugs. Cannabis is probably the biggest one. And mm -hmm. the stigma of, around cannabis use for everything from, well, especially in pregnancy, where we're still shaming women for having orgasms, of course, cannabis must be a problem because Rickson and Nate, Nixon and Reagan and, 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 you know, the past several decades, this, this, the destigmatization of drugs is, I think, evolving. But so many people get a benefit. And I'm also a hospice and palliative care doc. We are still not able to use cannabis in the state of Kentucky for that purpose. I mean, there might be like a, some medical reasons you could get around the rules. But the point being that cannabis, this beautiful plant, has a variety of, of benefits from an anti-emetic, meaning anti-nausea, to help with pain, to help with sleep, to help with appetite, to help with your nervous system, you know, anxiety, depression. There, I mean, help with intimacy. I have some my wife and I have great sex on cannabis. It's just the way it goes. If, if we were to open the door to the possibility that a, an organic or biodynamic responsibly raised cannabis product has all these benefits and there are yet these perceived harms, what if we could, you know, you know, rebalance that out? Unfortunately, there's not a lot of randomized controlled trials. There was a study of 60 women on RCT in Jamaica of uh, 10, 15 years ago or so that looked at the outcomes of kids five years after birth for users and non-users of cannabis. And they found that if anything, the kids you know, that were born to the mothers that were using cannabis, this is Jamaica guys, like we're talking about, and they were all low socioeconomic. They all had the same nutritional, you know, sort of inputs. The kids to, that were born to the users, if anything, actually performed a little bit better than the, uh, than the non-users when they looked at a variety of these assessments for childhood development. So we don't have a lot of data on it, but there are so many people in my, in my census, my, my practice, in my friend circles, in my own life, my wife and I, who have actually found the benefit of this is likely going to outweigh the harm. A lot of the co-variables of drug research, you know, they look at cannabis, but who's also using alcohol, who's also using cocaine, et cetera. So cannabis... I'm an advocate. I know that Sarah is, in the very least, uh, not a non-advocate, <laughs> maybe a little bit more ambivalent. But Sarah, you, I think, are what's beautiful about you is you're sort of like, listen, you do you, and I'm going to be just here holding the container. You do you, I'll do my best to support you. For me, I'm actually an advocate. I'm saying I think that there's actually a lot of benefit to using these substances. Now, psychedelics, oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. You can chime in. No, I would say I would call myself an advocate as well. And I mean, I work on a, a hippie commune, friends, like <laughs> familiar with the plant and over 50 years of births recorded on the farm. There is a lot of anecdotal experience of seeing birth, not me personally, but my partners seeing birth with cannabis use and none of it sucks. Like none, there's nothing bad here to report and that there's something to be said for that. So yes, mostly folks are shying away providers and, and and even even people in the cannabis industry shying away from talking 
talking about use of it during pregnancy and birth. And we're just, we're not going to do that. Right. Right. Right? Yeah. You know, about that in the respect that like, you know, there are all types of different people who are going to get pregnant and have families. And again, going back to like finding your tribe and finding the people that can have those types of conversations of what feels important to you. And also navigating, you know, if you're stepping outside of what the norm is, then you have to start to like navigate some of the concerns too, like going into the hospital and being tested and CPS. And, you know, there's a whole other thing too, to be discussed and talked about. And so it's nice to know that if people, if this is something that they is part of their family, that they have a tribe of people that they can kind of talk to and pull apart the, you know, limited evidence and anecdotal evidence and start to like really be able to make informed decisions about that as well. Yeah. There, there's a, a, a whole, you know, unit, a couple lessons on vaccines and, and similar interventions and a big thing that people, I think, experience, whether it's through, you know, a, you know, occasional cannabis use for various symptoms, or if it's declining vitamin K or antibiotics for GVS, a lot of folks in different parts of the country are experiencing a visit from a social worker or a CPS agent of some sort. We actually will discuss in the course, we actually discuss how to navigate that and provide a lot of reassurance because I have gone head to head with a lot of CPS social workers. And guys, those social workers are just as peeved about those consults as you are. They do not like going and having to do those calls. There are plenty of other social issues out there that they would love to be a part of to, in order to help families that actually need CPS. Those yeah. calls are going to be very, very easily dismissed if you can just be respectful, be patient with the process and just go with the flow for like a 15 minute talk with a social worker. They want to make sure that you're not an absolute, like that you're completely neglecting the needs of a child. And of course, you're not. You're you're going to be a great parent. By the way, again, maybe this is a word thing, but you use the word drugs, and I think that that in our society now has has a wrong connotation. But what about using the word medicinals? Is that a reasonable word to use, or is that inappropriate for use of marijuana and uh, and uh, psychedelics as opposed I would to drugs? I would totally use the word medicinals, but there's also lessons on cocaine, MDMA, also known as Molly, ecstasy. We do talk a little bit about tobacco versus cigarettes, all the toxic stuff versus the natural tobacco, organic tobacco. So the bigger, broader category, I totally agree with you. Most of the medicines that we're using are actually medicinal therapies for a variety of things on the physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual level. Cocaine, not so much. You know, cigarettes, not a lot of good medicine there. But I hear you there. I hear you there. And we actually separated the lessons out. So the psychedelics, I won't go too far into this, but obviously not a lot of people signing up for a randomized, a prospective randomized controlled trial on, let's say, ayahuasca or psilocybin or LSD. I won't go too far into that because that it is a pretty big lesson there. But I have a lot of people, this is all anecdotal. Again, we don't have a ton of data on this. I have a lot of people in my circles who have been using ayahuasca, psilocybin, et cetera. And uh, my wife and I did use psilocybin in our, in our pregnancy and this little baby, I don't know if it was the psilocybin or just, she got a lot of my wife's energy, but it's like a little Buddha baby that I could just imagine floating around the house. I met the, the soul of this baby girl, really Rosa, during a psilocybin journey in our second pregnancy. And it was exactly the same soul outside of the uterus that was inside of the uterus during that experience. And I share that story in the course. There are a, there's an abundance of anthropological data out of Brazil, especially the Amazon River Basin, using 
looking at ayahuasca through the community, the Santo Jaime communities. That's communities in parts of Brazil that actually treat ayahuasca as their deity. And so these babies are getting exposed in utero to ayahuasca while breastfeeding. They're even dipping their finger in the ayahuasca, you know, mixture and putting it on their tongues. I know Julie Anderson, actually a mutual friend of ours has done some work down there. And these kids are connected to the forest. Now, does that mean that it's quote safe in the way that we consider people should be, you know, compliant with the sort of right angled, very, very heavily governed sort of U.S. society? Maybe not. Maybe they're more connected to the to the forest through their Santo Jaime, their 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 ayahuasca. But that's where the anthropological work kind of kind of starts to. I think peel back the the curtains a little bit for us to understand what is the purpose of these medicinals, as you said, Stu. For the people in the Amazon River Basin, this is an important part of who they are versus somebody who's just out there, you know, out at Burning Man doing every drug out there and saying, yeah, Dr. Riley said it was fine to do these things. That's not what we're saying. There has to be a set and setting for every one of these. There's an intention, a ceremony around the use of some of these medicines. And they're not all just safe. They're, there's nothing safe about spiritual transformation. And that's what happens with a lot of these medicinals. So if you're going to be using these, there is you know, not a lot of data to say that they are definitely safe. There's also not a lot of data to say that they're unsafe. It's really a matter of being called to this and how you ceremonialize the experience. I would argue that in many women in my life would argue that there's no, no more powerful psychedelic experience than having a baby. There's something to that. There's something to be learned there. And if, and if using some of these medicinals helps you connect to yourself, to your baby, to your partner, to the world at large, to nature, this unifying oneness that comes through the use of psilocybin or whatever, then perhaps there is greater benefit than harm. The purpose of the lesson is not for us to tell you what to do. It's for you to help, to help you understand. Here is what we understand. Here's our anecdotal evidence. Here's what the data suggests. You need to make a call for yourself. And the people that have made that call do not have any regrets about it. So I'll just leave it at that. I, I have a dear friend of mine who is a psilocybin guide. And um, we had a good conversation recently. We talked about the idea that in back in, again, California since to lead the country in stupidity. And, and we have, you know, it's illegal in California, uh, even for therapeutic dosing for people who have terminal illnesses. There is data in the rest of the world that does support fact that it makes the transition from this plane to the ethereal plane a bit easier. Uh, from my, my own personal experience, I, I think that there's some truth to that. Yeah. And yet it's illegal. And the reason that it's probably illegal is because pharmaceutical companies can't make money on it. Absolutely. Uh, and then once they come out with the ph pharmaceutical grade psilocybin, you'll see that it's all of a sudden it's a great idea. Yeah. You know, that's the cynical side. Bliss, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think when you start to have these conversations too, like immediately people might hear this and be like, wait a minute, <laughs> we're talking about drugs. But we have all of these pharmaceuticals that are that are totally legal, that are causing havoc, that, you know, have all of these side effects. And somehow that's okay in our cultural perspective. But we start to talk about these medicinal products, these products, not products, but these plants that come from the earth that traditionally have been used since the beginning of time in lots of different ceremonial and medicinal and all kinds of things. So it's, 
when we start to have these conversations, it's about breaking up that perspective that we're locked into from our culture to say that this is okay because the powers that be put a stamp on it and said it's okay. And then these things somehow are not. Same thing with hospital birth and home birth, right? Like it's the same kind of conversation. So it's great to, to, you know, if you're a little bit activated or feeling a little bit like questioning why we would be, you know, why people would be discussing this, it's good to get activated in that way because then you can start to explore that maybe something else is possible and we can start to navigate life and birth and death in a, in a different kind of way. So I, I take my hat off to you both. Nathan, I, you know, know that you are someone who continually like is just who you are and you keep pushing the boundaries of what people are willing to hear and approach and think about. And we need more people like that. We need more of us that are, have the courage to be able to say like, Hey, there's a different way to do things because we're all of us can agree that what's happening currently is very dysfunctional and very broken. And so we have to be willing to have new conversations in order to see new pathways. So. Yeah. And before, before we wrap up, just want to say one other thing. You know, the idea that people sit for an hour and a half and have a conversation like we just did, it's so, it's so rare, but it is so beautiful. And I really feel good when I sit and talk with you guys. And I'm saying this partly because I really, I mean, obviously, because I really mean it, but partly because I'm really excited about something that's coming up in August. And, and I last couple minutes, I'd like you to just take a moment and talk about the breach gathering that we're going to be having, probably more than just a breach gathering. Because people think it's going to be like a just a Reach Without Borders course or Reteach Breach course. And that's going to be much more than that. This is August 1st through 4th in Lexington, Kentucky. And, you know, Sarah and Nathan, I think you're both going to obviously host it, I, I hope. And, and tell us, tell our listeners a little bit more about what's going to be going on so that they can, you know, if nothing else, understand how, how great an experience it can be to do birth and, and breach birth and other things the way we've been discussing for the last hour and a half. Is yeah. that the date? What's that? Did he just say the right date? Is it the first? Yeah. Through the no, it's August 10th through the 13th. And okay. it's in Louisville. So we're looking oh, well, thank you for correcting me. I got to correct that. That's how my, I got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. You're going you're gonna to arrive in your RV a little early, Stu. Yeah. No, it's okay. August 10th through 13th. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. But it's in, it's in Louisville, Kentucky. And this is in, I'm hoping Sarah will oh, be. Oh, it's in Louisville, it. not Lexington. Oh, yeah. It's okay. I got you. I know where I live. So. You know, I'm over 65. This is, <laughs> this is what happened. I'm okay. 38. So I've got a couple more brain cells, maybe. <laughs> so Louisville. God, I got I to gotta put that in the GPS. I end up in the wrong yeah. town on the wrong date. You know, so that would have been funny. Stu, I, I think you've got, let's see, you've got you know, almost 30 more years of banging your head against a keyboard, trying to get, you know, you know, systems to change and whatnot. I'm hoping that I can. Uh, yeah. Nathan, you and, I, you and I have the, been banging <laughs> our heads against the proverbial door, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Well, for me, it's a very literal door. It's quite oh, hard. For me too. You don't know the story, but I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Louisville on August 10th through 13th. Right. So I, <laughs> I'm hoping Sarah will be able to attend. I know that her, uh, one of her assistants, her apprentice, Sarah Fuqua is going to be there. She's helping me organize, but Sarah might be on call. I'm will desperately hope that Sarah can be there because she and I work so well together, but we're going to be, I'm going to be hosting a three-day conference. We're calling it a conference, not a workshop because 
you know, you can go and train with Dr. Stu. You can go and train with Rick Safries and David Hayes and the Breach Without Borders crew. You can maybe catch Milo Chavira talking somewhere. Um, you can maybe read Betty Ann, yeah, Betty Ann Davis, not Betty Ann Davis. Yeah, yeah Betty, Betty Ann. Ann Davis. Sorry, I always get her name mixed up with Robbie Davis Floyd because of the Davis. Uh, anyways, Be Betty Ann you Davis. You don't have an excuse. You're only 30. You're only in your 30s. I know. I know. I'm like, I'm, I've got a chronological age that does not match my uh, cognition. And then um, Dennis Hartung, Denny Hartung from University of Wisconsin area. Love Denny. Down. Yeah. So Excited we've got six, six of the probably most, I don't know, most charismatic teachers and probably most experienced breach, we'll use the word providers in the country from midwives to OBGYNs to MFMs. I'm going to be giving a couple presentations there to sort of reflect some of the topics we've already discussed today about informed consent. But there's going to be roughly 10 hours of hands-on simulation practice on the beautiful silicon simulators four simulators going at a time. Uh, we're going to be doing at a really beautiful hotel with suites and everything's going to be right on site. We're going to be doing a breath work session with Sarah Charmoli, a good friend of mine at Effigy Breath, some other wellness things. We're going to have plenty of other goodies kind of mixed in through the weekend, but everybody's going to be kind of just, I think, showered with some great educational opportunities. But like you said, Stu, it is so great to be in a room, this palpable sort of pulsating energy of people that want to see change it's going to be a hundred participants, six speakers, and me and a couple other helpers all in one room together for three days. And I'm just very, very excited for the opportunity to host it here in Louisville. So everybody can find that at my website, which is belovedholistics.com and just click on the Twins Breach Conference in the top left and, corner. And Nathan will be picking up the tab for dinner. Just want you to know that. <laughs> yes. Yes. I have to stand by what I said. <laughs> all right. Then I'll come. I'll make it work. <laughs> all right. Wow, I'm suddenly losing money on this whole thing. Jeez, isn't much of a much of a margin there. Anyway. You opened your mouth. That's how it goes. Well, listen, guys, you can you can thank you so much for coming on and talking about your your Born for University project. Hope it takes off and does gangbusters. I hope we can. Again, I don't know that I'll expect to see major changes in how we birth in my lifetime, but we're on we're on the road to in the right direction. So that's great. And uh, thank you. Can I add one more thing about the Born Free Method? So Born Free Method is our flagship course. It's a part of a bigger umbrella, Born Free University, where we're going to have multiple courses from pregnancy and postpartum specific exercise to, you know, vaginal and cervical health. That's going to be, you know, natural means of clearing HPV, boosting the immune system through lifestyle modification. It's going to be that type of coursework that's going to be under the umbrella of Born Free. And we're hoping to launch a doula certification program in the coming years. And the flagship prerequisite course is going to be this course. Because as a doula, like I said before, you're going to be in a room hearing a Q&A with the types of clients that you're looking to serve for your entire career as a doula or a childbirth educator. So that will, this course is for anybody. I just want to emphasize that you can go and join the waitlist. Do you guys know when this episode is going to launch? In two weeks. In two weeks. Okay. So Sarah, should we just, just say like, I don't know what we should say, because they'll, they'll be missing the waitlist period, but just go to Born Free Method, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bornfreemethod.com. Yeah. 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 Nathan, one other thing I forgot to ask you for the for the uh, Louisville conference uh, or seminar, whatever you're going to call it, between the 10th and the 13th of August. <laughs> are you offering are you offering CEUs and CMEs? Yes, there's going to be CEUs. We're not doing the CM, CME route this time, but there will be probably 20 plus CEUs because this is an action-packed three days. So we will have... The application is I'm still editing it, but we've we've got a lot of 
you know, references and everything else, I think we're going to be at least 20. I don't want to say more, but there's probably going to be more than 20. It's a giant chunk of your required CEUs if you're a midwife or another type of birth worker that requires that. Okay. Awesome. And I'm bringing my significant other, Nathan, and we are going to check out the area because we're thinking about where else we might want to live besides California. So I just want to let you know that, you know, we're going to take you on a tour. My wife would love to cook for you. Let's do it. Yes. Yes. It'll be so oh, fun. Bliss, bliss. The farm is so nice. Don't you want to come visit there too? I do. <laughs> are you kidding? Absolutely. Anyways, it's so nice to, um, chance to talk to you guys. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you. I know it takes so much to launch one of these programs. Thank you for your courage again. And it's just delightful to sit and dream up ways that we can open people's minds and hearts. So thanks. Thank you so much for having us. This is awesome. Yeah. So you guys can just drop off and Bliss and I are going to wrap. Bye guys. Bye guys. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. So Blister. Yeah. You haven't called me that in a long time. Well, I call you that all the time. You, uh, remember, what was the other one in the beginning that you used to call me? Do you remember? Blis the blisterious one. Ah, the blisterious one. I think that one's my preferred one over goddess. I feel I like that one. Oh, the blisterious one? Yeah. Well, I thought I liked that too, because that takes me back to high school when, you know, it actually we got that term came from, uh, from <laughs> pro wrestling. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, just morphed from a, from a wrestler back when I was really young. Yes. We, used to, we used to go to the Minneapolis auditorium and watch pro wrestling and we'd be screaming and yelling. It was just, yeah, those were, those were, uh, those were good days. So you are the blisterious one. And uh, that was cool. Yeah. Talking with Nathan and Sarah is always cool. Like I said, I feel like sit, we're sitting around a coffee table, having a, or a dinner table, just having a conversation and, you know, maybe partly because I'm living in, Utah right now, I mean, I don't see a lot of people that I know face to face anymore. This is thank God for Zoom. But uh, I just I just love having real conversations with people. Uh, I don't like texting. I think texting is stupid. So, so you even do the emojis and everything. Well, emojis make it. That's why it's stupid, because you don't have to use words. And I and I like using words and I like seeing facial expressions. And so yeah. when you're texting with somebody. You know, how often are you texting somebody while you're doing other tasks at the same time? Yeah, pretty much all the time. When you're sitting yeah. there having a conversation with you, how often are you doing other tasks? Pretty much all the time. Oh, you are? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not the answer I was expecting. That's why you're the mysterious one. Okay, we better sign off because this has been a really long podcast. Okay. And if people are walking their dogs, their dogs must be exhausted by now. So, <laughs> anyway, great seeing you. I'll... I'll see you next week. Okay, sweetheart. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 